and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fosbero. A few weeks ago, Teresa Patricios, Head of Investments at Convex, and her great friend Cam Parker from Swiss Re joined me on the podcast to talk about their upcoming ambitious challenge to row the Pacific Ocean along with two teammates. I'm delighted to say not only did they survive the 2,800-mile gruelling journey from Monterey in California to the Hawaiian island of Kauai, they've returned world record breakers. Their incredibly fast time of 34 days, 8 hours, and 22 minutes, I know they'll remember every second of it, sets a new record for a mixed crew. And they're also the first ever reinsurance team to cross the Pacific. Their hard work, dedication and tenacity has raised more than £65,000 so far for mental health charity Mind. So I'm delighted to be joined by them today to hear all about their adventure. Cam is with me at Convex in London and Teresa is working but still coming back down to earth at the same time in Greece. Massive congratulations. Congratulations to you both. How are you? Thank you, Helen, for that really warm and inspiring welcome. Hearing you speak about our success really gave me goosebumps. And it just you know reminds us of the journey we had out in the Pacific, which really, I must be honest, still feels very surreal. And how are you, Cam? Helen, I feel absolutely incredible. My body's recovered and I put on eight kilograms of weight and I feel like a human again. But I think if you talk to the other team members, Stuart and Cello, the whole experience is, is totally surreal. Like Tia says, it's, it's something that you can't believe happened. It feels like an enormous dream that were you part of it or not? Teresa, when you describe the experience to friends, how do you describe as an overview what you've done? There are so many adjectives to use to aptly describe the experience. I would say overwhelming and intense would be kind of the first two. But the adventure and the incredible experience we had as a team, you know, every day posed a different challenge, but also a different backdrop around whether the sea conditions or the wind or our feelings and emotions. It was just an incredibly diverse journey through this 34 days and every moment just was was a challenge I would say it was incredibly intense but incredibly rewarding at the same time. I know that Teresa this was your first go at anything as challenging as this when you're actually out there in the middle of the ocean were there moments where you had to pinch yourself that you were actually doing this? Totally I still feel it it, it was unreal I loved the feeling of being I know this sounds strange, but I love the feeling of being in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, just four human beings on this tiny boat. It was so liberating. And I get goosebumps just telling you that. That was really my go-to place when I struggled or when I was having difficult days, just to reflect on, wow, we're in the middle of the ocean. How lucky are we? There's no one around, not a soul around. The only living organisms would be the, you know, the marine life, which was quite sparse, and then quite a few birds that came to visit. Cam, you had an idea of what to expect as you'd already rode the Atlantic, but how did the Pacific compare? How was your journey? I actually have a recording while I was out there on the Pacific, which described the Pacific as being infinitely harder than the Atlantic. It's very, very hard to quantify. I felt I had a handle on what it'd be like. But that first seven to 10 days was off the charts. And I almost had to go into life preserve, which means that as soon as I was off deck, I was eating and sleeping and barely communicating with anybody because my body was taking so much strain to acclimatize that I had to just preserve it. And I think every team member was in that same state. 
And only after about seven to eight days did we start to emerge as a team and start to communicate and actually share what was going on. It was incredibly intense. I think by comparison, the Atlantic was a much softer start. It was much more about a journey where we could engage with the wildlife and everything around us, but the Pacific was there to break us. And you had to really come together as a team and and just hold off the elements. Can you describe CAM to somebody who's never done anything like this? And I would imagine the vast majority of people listening to our podcast will never experience anything like you have. Just explain what you mean with life preserve mode and what was it about those first seven to 10 days that really did test you and push you to your limit? I think it's the fact that when you leave the mainland, you need to head essentially west, southwest on your course to Hawaii. And because you're running off the continent, all the winds are traveling south, potentially even southeast, and you have currents that are traveling south as well. And you have to basically go west. So as a consequence, you're setting up the boat to travel in a manner that it's completely not comfortable with. And I think that's why I brought my sailing theory book. There's actually a term that described it. It's called beam reach, which basically means you're almost traveling at 90 degrees to the conditions. And it puts the system under significant stress, including the rowers. If you just imagine yourself on the vessel and you have this huge swells coming in from your left and the waves from the left and they're hitting the side of the vessel and you're trying to row and trying to make sure that you have enough speed to make sure that you can travel, it puts the whole system under significant stress and it's very tough on the humans, but also the boat. Did you have a moment, Cam, when you thought, crikey, was this the right thing to do and that I'm going to get through this? We had a very significant event within the first three days where we have an autohelm, which is a device that controls our direction. And we decided to take an extra spare. So we had two new autohelms and two secondhand ones. We broke the two brand new autohelms within three days. And we were faced with a situation where there was a likelihood that we would have to go into manual steering, which is something you don't want to even think about. There's no ways you can do 2,800 miles across the Pacific hand steering. And the reason for that is the vessel is very unstable in the context it always wants to go um, 90 degrees to the conditions and it'll always settle up in that position. Therefore, if you lose control of the vessel, it'll go sideways. And that becomes quite a life-threatening situation where you have to get everybody on deck at night, regardless of the conditions, get the boat speed up and then eventually put the vessel back on course. So hand steering is a complete no-no. And we'd broken two of our order helms very, very seriously within the first three days because of the conditions. And a huge amount of stress on the rowers. And I'm sure you've got very vivid memories, Teresa, of your first seven to 10 days. What memories do you have of that starting off? And what was going through your mind? I have one word I always use to describe the first seven days, and that is brutal. I think it encapsulates the essence of what we went through. It was incredibly hard and for sure you wake up and you think, what did I sign myself up to? This is just really not fun. However, every moment kind of shed new light around how to cope. And what I mean by that is, so one of my unknowns and to some extent fears prior to beginning the race was what happens if we capsize? I was convinced we would capsize through those conditions because just to repeat or expand upon what Cam said, we had these huge swells coming from our left-hand side, which are actually the starboard side, because of course you rain, you know, backwards. And you see these four or five meter swells and you think, what the hell? Is this going to like take the boat, right? So it lifts the boat. And because it's from the side, you, the boat slides and you literally, you know, the boat is diagonally 
kind of sliding down the swell. Most of the time, because it's a swell, it kind of then self-corrects quite easily and you didn't really have any breakers because, of course, you're out in, in the Pacific in the depths. But what was incredible to learn is that the boat, even without the ballast, is really engineered to withstand these conditions. And it just really sort of flips back almost immediately. And you think, wow, this boat's pretty cool. And then with the ballast, huge amount of weight, emergency water, emergency wet supplies, all our food, which was about 200 kilograms, that ballast itself acted like a huge weight to help bring the boat back to its center point. So I realized quite soon in the journey, this boat is really going to keep us safe. And we learned to be one with the boat and being one with the boat and having the faith that the boat will take us through really helped endure those really tough conditions. And so whilst we still had to, of course, adjust, especially around things like sleep deprivation, it was incredibly cold and wet. Your feet and, and socks were always wet. We had to wear foul weather gear. We had to get used to getting rid of the wet gear and then getting into dry clothes after our shifts, eating, drying your body so you don't get sores, and then, of course, sleeping all in the matter of two hours. It was just exhausting. And rowing in the night is so tough. And not only that, we had a new moon at the start of the journey. Can you imagine? It was basically pitch dark. That's absolutely extraordinary. Your description actually has made me feel a bit goosebumpy too. Cam said he went into life preservation mode and quite quiet and just getting his head in the right place at the beginning. How did you react with all that, Teresa? And how did you pull together as a team? Was that through all being quite quiet and in your own mind? Or did you champion each other on? I think it was the combination of both. It's certainly important and, and we expected each other's space and need to kind of reflect and gather ourselves. But at the same time, it was through the journey where I got to really appreciate the power of being in a team in that inevitably when someone has a bad moment or, or has a down, someone else is feeling stronger and can lift them up. It really was the case. And we were always rowing two up. And so I could reach out and chat to the rower in front of me. And even the presence, so without even talking, just knowing that we're both on deck and the presence of my fellow teammates next to me, or rather in front of me, it gave me a lot of comfort, uh, especially those early days where you just didn't know what was going on. It was everything was new. And just being able to row together gave me that sense of security. Were you frightened, Teresa, in those early days when you first went out and you experienced those swells for the first time before you perhaps had the confidence that the boat would right itself and before you really felt at one with the boat? Absolutely, Helen. I've tried to imagine what I would do if the boat would tip and let go of the oars. Do I hold on to the support lines? You don't know how the boat's going to react. You don't know what the conditions are really like. And, and every shift was different. The common denominator of every shift was that it was incredibly hard. But within three, four days, once I had the confidence that the boat is really self-correcting, I got to actually enjoy the swells, even though we were fighting them. With every stroke, we kind of managed to get through this. My mind shifted from a consciousness of, wait, I'm scared, to, hey, this is a challenge and every shift is going to be an adventure. Cam, give us a sense of what a day looked like. I know every day would have been different, but, but how it worked in terms of how long you rode for, how long you slept for, how did your day unfold? The shift work on the boat is basically two hours on deck rowing and two hours private time in which you 
have a chance to clean yourself, feed yourself and get as much sleep as possible. Once you get really efficient, you can probably get up to about one and a half hours of sleep. And I would probably point to Tia and I who were in the front cabin. That was probably pretty realistic. A little bit different for the teammates at the back of the cabin because they were running the engine, doing a lot of the comms, navigation, etc. And I think they were probably only getting about one hour ten. So we try to compromise by doing some of the additional chores like making hot water, making the water on the vessel. But it really gets broken down in, into those time intervals. But the reality is when you're on deck, you're basically rowing solid for two hours. This turned out not to be a journey, but ultimately a race from about day four. It just was so different from the Atlantic, where we took probably about a day to enjoy the environment, um, take time off, sprinkle in the vessel and relax. This was not at all like this. I think if you add the total amount of time that we took off in the 34 days, eight hours and 22 minutes, we only took one and a half hours off over the entire duration. That's all we took off. One and a um, half hours. That's, 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 that's correct. What did you do with your one and a half hours? Tia, I'm pretty sure we'd love to talk to that point because I know Christmas is involved. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. From the start, I was very keen for us to enjoy experiences together as a team. At the time, I also expected to see a lot of wildlife, which didn't happen. And that made it easier to just continue to race. Back to the experiences, we had three specific scenarios in mind and we stuck to them which was amazing and this was ready to keep our morale up and enjoy the time together so the first was celebrating halfway to christmas i.e the 25th of june so we had basically arranged secret santa presents for each other stuart and i arranged a christmas meal nicely wrapped in christmas decorations and wrappers and we took about 25 minutes let's say Let's round it off to half an hour to exchange gifts, open them up and enjoy a shot of rum. We also had a little hat and I had a tiara and we took uh, a pic. It's on our website as well. It's such a nice way to just connect and, and breathe. The second one was, and I was absolutely keen to do this at least once, and I'll explain why, but the ability to enjoy the deep blue ocean. So that day we took an hour off half of which was dedicated to cleaning the boat because we really wanted to keep our very limited quarters clean. And we had then half an hour spare to jump into the water. It was incredible. The experience was just delightful. This deep blue abyss its the best description. And just to, to explain why it only happened once, that was a day which was very, very calm. It was flat. There was hardly any ripple. However, we still had a bit of current, and I think it was about 0.8 of a knot, in other words, 0.8 miles per hour, nautical miles. I jumped into the water, and you absolutely have to be connected to the boat at all times. That's absolutely critical and cardinal, you know, number one rule when we're out of deck. So I jumped into the water, connected to the boat, and the time it took to surface, which was about a second, I was already five meters from the boat. The boat had traveled five meters away from me. And I'm like, wow, those are calm conditions. We didn't have many calm conditions. And that's why we only jumped into the water once. Besides the fact that, of course, we were racing. So we didn't want to give up too much of our lead. No, well, you say you're racing there, Cam. And what I'm curious about is you've come home with this incredibly fast time for a mixed crew, the record, which is 34 days, 8 hours and 22 minutes. And when we sat here at Convex before you went, you said, I think the row will probably take about 40 days. That was an estimate. 
when did you realize that actually there was a world record in sight and how did that change in terms of did you get into race mode when you realized actually it was a possibility? So Helen, you, you're absolutely correct. And the best way to describe it is I wrote myself a welcome home letter. So when I got home after the row, it said, welcome back for making it alive and congratulations on doing it in 40 days. <laughs> it was completely beyond all our imaginations to do it in the time we did it. I was even produced a distribution of the likelihood um, to a colleague that wanted to come and visit us to make sure that their arrival was going to be timed appropriately. And I assigned a 5% probability to us doing it in under 35 days. So completely beyond the imagination. And the question is, how did that happen? I think every team member has asked themselves, what was it about us that enabled us to do so incredibly well? And I think after the Orderhelm trouble that we had between days three and day four, we were basically faced with the prospect of potentially hand steer for the remainder of the journey. We decided to reconvene and work our way around seeing whether we could rebuild the order helms. And we did that. We completely disassembled them and were able to use parts from one to fix the other. And we produced an order helm that we believed was going to be fit for purpose. And I think that gave the team confidence that, you know, we weren't going to have to hand steer. We were still potentially in the race. And then, of course, one call into the safety officers revealed the fact that we were basically on world record time, which came as a complete surprise to us because the first couple of days were just, I mean, we even went on para-anchor. We were like doing nothing for eight hours <laughs> and we were in third position. And we reconvened as a team and said, well, what do you think we should do with this? And I think there was a unanimous sentiment in the team that we could not pass up on the opportunity to see whether we could hold on to third place. And we gave it a shot for a couple of days and we thought, well, hang on a minute, this could be possible. I remember having a chat to Stu. I think we should let the land crew know that we're gonna race this. So we put a call into Penn, my sister, and said, Penn, we've decided as a team, we're gonna race this. She says, I know, I can see it already. <laughs> and we worked so hard. And I know that the previous world record for a mixed team was 48 days. But it wasn't about that because we felt confident we could do that. It was the fact that there were other mixed teams on the race. And one in particular that was very, very close. I think at one stage it was seven nautical miles away. And we had to fight so, so hard to maintain our lead. It became extremely tactical, extremely tactical, which turned the journey into a race that I think just fueled us. And it also made us go after something that we felt if we were able to achieve it, it would mean so much to everybody that had given us so much to get to the start line and was our turn to deliver. Teresa, what was that change to race mode like for you? Well, I'm competitive by nature, Helen, so it wasn't too difficult to <laughs> agree on our common goal. At the same time, I thought, mm, I really hope we haven't bitten off more than we can chew in that obviously security and safety is also paramount. I was really a little bit wary of pushing ourselves much too soon, but we really tackled this so strategically and it was really technical, as Cam mentioned. We had Stuart being an incredible weather router and he's got a lot of experience in that regard as well because he sails and we all had faith in him. The fact that we worked so well as a team, we spoke, communicated when we had concerns or fears, we had check-ins quite regularly. And I think that was absolutely key to being able to commit to this goal. 
because it was tough and we were all very emotional in the beginning, but we pulled through. And as time passed, and I also, especially as our distance from the other teams behind us grew, we really started to enjoy the small successes. And it's a very positive, self-fulfilling, virtuous circle in that then you continue to enjoy that because you know you can do it and you start to gather more and more self-confidence and faith. And the experience becomes more and more enjoyable. And then the other thing, day seven for me or eight, where I woke up and it was suddenly warmer and you can't underestimate how much energy you get when it suddenly warms up and when the sun comes out. The sun, my God, was our savior because not only is it warmer, it's drier. And the spirits, our morale, the, the sense of just enjoying the journey just became more and more prevalent and real. And so it was easier to then commit and race. Was that the same for you, Cam, once you felt the warmth of that sun and you'd managed to get through those first seven or eight really tough days? Is that the moment, would you say, that everything shifted for you, Cam, and you found yourself again and you managed to take yourself away from that life-preserving role that you talked about in those early days of the row? Just to give you some context, we were measuring the water temperature throughout the journey and we started at 17 degrees in Monterey. By the time we got to Kauai, the temperature was 37 degrees. I've wow. never been in the sea with temperatures that high. So the transformation in the conditions and particularly the weather and the warmth were significant. And it makes you feel like a human again because you're not shivering and you can operate with much more freedom. You don't have to wear all the heavy all-weather gear, etc. But I think for me, the moment was just seeing how the team grew. The team grew so, so strong. The best way to describe it is, you know, you prepare physically and mentally as best you can. And then you start this journey and it just wants to break you. And then you see the power of the mind where the individuals in the rowers actually fight back. And the strength of the mind brings them to a place where they think, well, hang on a minute, we can actually do this. We can conquer this. And you see the confidence that grows just mentally. And then the second order effect is as you're rowing for so long, 12 hours a day, you get strong your body starts to wake up and it just becomes incredibly strong i reached my peak strength i think after about week three i just kept saying to t i'm just getting stronger and stronger and stronger it's incredible and that fuels confidence and you just start to fly you start to fly what about the challenge for you mentally and physically, Teresa? How did you cope with the physicality of doing so much rowing and surviving on so little sleep? And also, how did you dig deep to find the mental strength that you needed? In terms of the mental side, mental resilience is, is absolutely key to be able to endure and, and have a successful row. We were very fortunate, are very fortunate to have had and still have a team coach. And Caroline helped us prepare in giving us some tools for our toolkits to cope during the times when we were experiencing difficulties. And for me, there were several sort of techniques that I, I tried to use. I think the one was positive affirmations. So just some key words, right, that are powerful and positive. Like the one, this too shall pass. You know, everything is, is transient. To know that, fine, it might be a tough shift, but it's not going to be tough forever. And soon we'll be going back to the cabin and, and we'll be able to rest or I'll be able to rest. But more powerful than that, I think, was the words that inspire. I'm brave. I can do this. Self-affirming words that help the spirit 
keep positive because, you know, a positive mindset is absolutely key. And I must say, Cam is just, he just always seems positive. And for me, his excellence, his strong leadership as the skipper and the team lead was so helpful in being able to also pick me up when I had moments of just being really down. And that's what I meant about the power of the team. So it was only, it was also, of course, the, the toolkit that we have that we each had to, to keep ourselves sort of motivated, but then also the ability to then tap in and get the, the comfort from each of our teammates and in particular camp, which helped a lot. Ultimately, also, it was about visualization. So visualizing a scenario where one filled more upbeat and the for me the elements helped a lot in that sense i absolutely loved the experience of seeing the moon rise when there was a moon rise and the sunsets and sunrises as well were absolutely beautiful but i did enjoy the night the nighttime rowing was so hard at the same time the ambiance and the environment at night was beautiful you have the stars sometimes if it's not too cloudy it's absolute peace that actually helps you cope through that difficult rowing and it was all about balance at the end of the day. But to your point around the sleep deprivation was so hard. And I eventually got used to the shift patterns and being more efficient because actually the rowing itself is, is kind of the easy part. It's everything you have to do in addition to rowing in a, such a cramped and small space, which, which is hard. For instance, just keeping your utensils clean, arranging to ensure that you have food ready to eat, being able to change into proper gear, going to the toilet, like everything is just super hard. And you're also moving on the boat and the boat's not exactly stable, right? I and mean, you can also trip and fall and potentially fall off deck. So all of that took time to get used to. And, and I think once I started to get used to being efficient when it came to all the tasks and things that you had to do off shift, I was able to sleep a bit more, but the sleep deprivation never got easier. I struggled until the end. You know, not being able to sleep more than an hour and a half was so hard. And at night, there were times where I, my body just wanted to sleep whilst rowing. And what helped a lot was to just have these fun conversations with my rowing partner. So for instance, just have a theme. For instance, what would be your five top meals if you had a restaurant? You know, what would be sort of your five starters that you'd enjoy having on the menu? Your mind starts to just play and tap into just different ideas and different thoughts. And that keeps the body going. I hope Cam didn't catch you uh, snoozing on your shift at all there. But uh, Cam, you had extra weight on your shoulders because as Teresa so eloquently and kindly put there, you were the skipper and you strike me as somebody, I've only met you a couple of times, but you strike me as somebody who has great leadership qualities. But what was the toolkit that you relied on? How did you keep mentally strong and physically strong? What were your tricks of the trade, if you like? Helen, I think... If you find yourself in a situation where you can make a difference to your rowing team partner, either by listening to what they've got to say or asking an interesting question. Um, I remember talking to Stuart about his father and the history of where his father grew up and what he used to do. So it's very much around just engaging and communicating with your team member. And I see that as just engagement. And if you do that, your mind gets stimulated and your partner's mind gets stimulated and suddenly your two-hour shift is over. So I'm very, very conscious about that. And I think in Tia's case, I knew that the secret weapon was coffee and massages. Because we were racing, <laughs> I think I only made her coffee three times and she probably only got one proper massage. But it's uh, finding ways to give back on the boat really makes a difference. And I think that's the secret weapon. I'm a very, very positive person by disposition. 
So it's quite easy for me to turn up in a good frame of mind. But I suffered a lot from the technical issues we had on the boat because the consequences of those were pretty severe. And I just felt that, you know, we'd be letting everybody down if we couldn't fix the order helms, for example. And that never went away. But I just loved watching the team grow. And also there was a lot of autonomy on the boat. Stuart, for example, had full autonomy in the context of our navigation. And I knew that it was important to him. And to be honest, the reason we did so well is because Stuart just did a phenomenal job of putting us on the right place at the right time. How do you weave the boat through various currents? And how do you make sure that we get to where we need to be so we catch this particular trade wind at the right time? And it's amazing. If you talk to some people that were at the start, they'll say some of the teams were huge. In fact, we beat the army team, which is really important to Stuart that we beat the army team because he was from the Navy. And these guys were just monsters. When you walk away with third position, knowing that you've triumphed and you've beaten them, and it's not about physical mass, it's about something different. It's hugely inspiring. Something you inspired me with, Cam, when we met was you said very confidently, Teresa will come back a different woman. And I'm sure you have, Teresa, but how has this experience changed you? And was Cam right? (laughs) That's a tough one to answer in its entirety. The road gave me a lot. I didn't expect to come back with anything too groundbreaking in regards to revelations or getting a a different sense of who I am per se. But I think what the road gave me in particular was more subtle, but more powerful. The one was, and I'm really hoping this will remain for my future years to come, but effectively the one was a sense of slowing down. And that was an inspiration that I had before the road to slow down in every sense of my life, slowing down in terms of how I speak, but also how I think, how I communicate. But even more so, I tend to pack too much into my day and get overwhelmed. And I think having space to grow and to think and having space for personal reflection is something that I've missed. And space is absolutely essential because space isn't actually a void. Space is is a powerful way of expansion. It's a powerful form of expansion. And I got that during the row by virtue of realizing first and foremost that I needed to slow down and be very mindful in terms of how I was on deck. But also, you know, when you're rowing, life becomes very simple. You just have to row, sleep and eat and repeat. So simple in in a very difficult way, of course, but simple in in the fact that you disconnect from the world. There's a huge digital detox. You don't have any form of communication with the world, physical and mental detox as well. And I think that gave me the ability to be with myself, but it's especially the digital detox. I think that's something that is so important and so hard to achieve because even going on holiday or taking time out, you're always connected or generally we always connect to our phones. And this was really the most incredible way of being able to understand that. So Cam was right in that realization was huge for me. And the other one was just confidence in myself and confidence in knowing that I can achieve anything I put my mind to. And everyone can. It's a matter of mind over matter. Cam, what do you think you learned about yourself? What's your takeaway from this second challenge that you've successfully mastered? It's the power of the team. You know, we set ourselves ambition to be the first reinsurance team to row an ocean. 
the team chose the team and we could have chosen very, very big, strong rugby players or elite athletes or rowers for that matter. But we decided not to. We ended up choosing people that turned up for the right reasons. If you look at the outcome of what we were able to achieve, you would never have imagined this team could have done that. And I think it's completely elevated my belief that if you put the right people together and you're united behind something that you all connect with, you can do absolutely anything. And I always had that sense after having done the Atlantic, but it's just at a very, very different level today, at a very, very different level. And I see the impact it's had on myself and the team members, and Tia shared a little bit about her story, but even the youngest on the team, Cello, his friends say to him, well, now you've done the Pacific, you know, come on this mountain run with me or come and do this marathon. And he has no ways of saying no anymore because they say to him, well, it's only, it's only two hours, it's only four hours. <laughs> his life has changed. He finds it difficult to say no to things around him now because he is, he's such incredibly capable. Uh, there are no excuses anymore. No excuses. Have you got, Cam, another challenge that you'll do with Teresa up your sleeve in all those hours on those 34 days that you were rowing? Did you come up with anything else that you want to uh, take on together or is that TBC? So I have this one day skipper RYA book in front of me and uh, I plan to do my skipper's course. I know Tia plans to do hers as well. We also have spearfishing in common. She also actually owns a boat. So I have a secret ambition that we'll go and do our practical training together and we will start on the journey of sailing. And that I think is going to open up a new chapter for both of us and introduce us to different people, different circles, and probably have us travel on journeys that we can't even believe are possible today. So that's the immediate thing, I think. I think these things, once your adrenaline's fueled like that and you've experienced an incredible challenge, it's never the last. I think the adventurous spirit really comes out. Teresa, I'm just wondering what it was like when you spotted land for the first time. So it wasn't only land, it was Kauai in Hawaii. And Kauai is the greenest of all the islands. And it was about five, six o'clock in the morning when I just finished my shift. I turned around to go back into the cabin and I'm like, whoa, what is that? And I saw this rugged island, rugged because it's got beautiful mountains and a really unique shape, but it's also incredibly green because it gets a lot of rain. You know, with daybreak just coming in, the light was also very surreal and almost misty. It's almost like a Lord of the Rings backdrop. It was so mystical but incredibly beautiful. And I thought, wow, is that where we're going? I never imagined the island to look like that. And the closer we got, the more beautiful and, and real it became. But the sense of seeing land, yes, we were out for 34 days. And I think we, it took us about a day and a half to lose sight of land in the beginning. So let's say, you know, 32 days of really being in the midst of the Pacific Ocean. I expected it to be more breathtaking in realizing, wow, you know, actually we're surfacing and you could smell the land as well. But it seemed almost a natural transition, mainly because I think we become, I think, the sort of seafarers. The Pacific Ocean was our home for so long. And it just felt natural to, to just see that endpoint. But I think the beauty itself made the experience just so easy to accept that the end goal. And because it's also a bit of a catharsis and, and to some extent you go through ups and downs because you don't want the journey to end in some shape or form. The ocean becomes your home. But because it was an amazing backdrop, it just made that experience phenomenally beautiful. And Cam, you came into jubilant scenes. The footage of you arriving in Kauai is fantastic. 
What was that like? And also, what's it like taking your first steps on dry land when you've been at sea for that long? Are you like almost drunken sailors in a way? It's incredible to come into the Hanley Bay with that enormous backdrop of the volcanic mountains shrouded in green and the clouds everywhere. And you get a chance to regroup as a team and light your flares and make as much noise as you possibly can. And you're surrounded by friends. It's extremely moving and extremely powerful. It's a moment that is captured beautifully in the photographs that hold us together. It's something that you will never, ever forget. And it's a very, very special moment. And I think we took probably five minutes just to enjoy it. As we made our way to land, there was a jetty, which was, it was a Sunday, and it was just full of people. And it felt like we were arriving home to a whole host of new friends we didn't even know, a team of hundreds, friends of thousands. And stepping on land, it's so hard to explain because you, you basically slip off the vessel onto the sand. Extremely wobbly. You know, you've been on the boat for 34 days and that has become your stable home. And you step onto land and you're extremely unstable and you need help as you make your way up to the beach and you meet all your friends and you cry and you hug and you keep meeting friends. It's just super, super special. It's the second time I've done that and it's something that will last forever. It's so overwhelming, the sense of completion. It almost feels unreal. So, you know, that beautiful sight of the island of Kauai was breathtaking. But at the same time, the, the experience itself was so overwhelming. You, know, you don't know what to expect. And to put it into words, like I had imagined what it would feel like when we arrived several times before we reached the finish line. And every time I imagined it, I would get very emotional, sometimes teary in feeling that sense of achievement and, and seeing family and friends. But when we actually arrived, I felt a little bit almost numb in that I, I couldn't express or feel what it was like. And I think it's the reason for that is it's so overwhelming. The emotions are so heightened that you almost can't comprehend them. And that's why I think the experience itself still remains to some degree for all of us surreal because it's so incredibly intense and overwhelming that part of it stays unreal. And I think that entry to Hanalei Bay, whilst was so moving in many ways, there's an element that for me remains unreal. And Teresa, re-entry into normal life, it sounds perhaps a silly question, but when you'd survived on, for example, so little sleep, do you sleep like the dead <laughs> once you're in a proper bed? And what's it like adapting to normal life when you're so used to the Pacific Ocean and your way of life with your team being home? I was curious about that as well. And I think we all adapted and adjusted quite well and quite quickly. The first night was quite bizarre. I think I woke up several times and in particular, I woke up at about 1.30 in the morning craving salt because when you're out on deck, you're desalinating the water. It's incredibly pure. So you don't have minerals that you really need for your body. So we took supplements, but I hadn't taken my supplement for probably a couple of days and I, I had such a craving and I, I found some salt in the hotel room and I drank two big glasses of salt water and it never tasted so sweet before was just amazing. My body just quenched it up. And then I woke up again needing to stretch. So I had a bit of broken sleep, but I must say from day two, I slept through the night and my body really adjusted. It just needed to sleep and heal. And for the first 10 days, I was not active at all. I resorted to walking and that's been a great way to just get back on track. And what about you, Cam? What you need to realize is you lose so much muscle mass. My starting weight was about 93 kilograms and I finished at 80 kilograms. I'd lost 
everything. And I was horrified at the size of my muscles. So you have to be really, really careful when you re-enter because the first thing you want to do is carry on like you were <laughs> before you started to row. And if you do that, your body will tell you you've completely just exceeded what is possible. For example, your calves shrink. And therefore, if you decide to go for a run, well, you, you, you wouldn't be able to walk for about five days. So you really take it so slowly and hold yourself back. And that's quite hard if you've been exercising solidly for 34 days. But you have to be very, very patient and just allow your body to recover slowly. But I think that gives you a chance just to connect with people and, and do things that you're in very short supply of after having just come off the Pacific. So your body recovers remarkably quickly. If you look at Tia, she is 10 years younger. She's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and I think your, your body just goes through the stress state for so long that it starts to heal itself and get rid of all the noise, gets rid of the pains and the joints, and it just starts to behave like it was designed to behave. And I think that's an absolute privilege of something like this, that it generally makes you feel younger and your body feels rejuvenated. Teresa, not only did your purpose become to race, we mustn't forget that you were raising money, you have been raising money, and so far more than £65,000 for the charity Mind, the mental health charity. How did that help you on your journey, do you think, knowing that you felt a real responsibility to raise funds for such a vital, much-needed charity? Having a greater purpose in raising money for our charity was a unifying force and really gave us meaning behind the row. There were many ways to find meaning, of course. And I think we spoke of several around our experience, our personal experience, the growth, the self-discovery, experiencing nature, etc. But then the overarching common goal, raising money, helps to unify the team. At the same time, being able to say this now in having completed the row, it's wonderful to give back through talking about the experience and inspiring others. The link then to give back and inspire others and then reach out and say, we're living on this earth. Let's collectively try and make a difference as a collective body, not only by inspiring, but then giving back to actually give back to mind. It's just a natural, a lovely way to just bring everything together. I've really enjoyed having had this common purpose and goal in mind. And we're still, of course, raising to, to get to hopefully our 100,000. Something would have been missing. Through our journey, the mental... Strength is so paramount. It controls ultimately the outcome. And we as a team have got much closer to the topic of mental health. And therefore, it's not just a charity that we happen to be raising money for. It's something that we've become much, much closer to. Having the chance to be able to give back, as Tia says, by having conversations, by having talks and inspiring those to maybe go out and say yes to things that they'd always said no to, or helping to support the mental health charity mind in the UK is just something that's become really important to us. And the journey isn't over for us. We've done a lot of work as a team and a community to try and raise 100,000 for mind. And we've decided to pass the baton on to the next reinsurance team to go and row an ocean. So you will see the vessel. It's in Monte Carlo right now. We're inviting the next team to stick their hand up and pick up the baton and continue the good work that we've done. I just want to say a massive congratulations to you both. I feel a real sense of pride in what you've done. I'm in awe of what you've achieved. And I know that we'll be talking in the future about some other incredible challenge. As I did warn you earlier, in our autumn season, we're asking all our guests what's the biggest risk they've ever taken. So Cam, your biggest risk you've ever taken? 
So Helen, that's really easy for me. This project has been the biggest risk I've ever taken. You know, it's one thing sticking a hand up, building a team and going and doing an ocean when nobody really knows about it. But we've decided to go and do something for the industry in aid of mind. And we've gone out there and reached out to the industry and got support from the industry. And it's felt so close to home that the fear of failure was very, very real for me. It felt like true risk. The boundary between success and failure was just so, so fine. And we needed to succeed. We did, thankfully. But I've never taken such a large personal risk before. Well, you succeeded with bells on. Um, Teresa, your biggest risk? I'd have to say it's the row. It's not only the risk of being out at sea, because that's clear, right? It's easier to comprehend that one, the physical risk itself. But the risk was more multidimensional. I think the risk was also how we would be as a team, the dynamics of being on board, the sleep deprivation, etc. You just don't know. There's so many unknowns. You know, risk, it's a bit of a interesting word because... I think it's very subjective and, and impersonal how you interpret the word risk. Cam said once a very interesting comment to me, and this is going to sound quite actuarial, but if you can perceive the risk and assess the risk in t- context of the returns, but also in context to the mitigation of that risk, then it's not really a risk at the end of the day. So what we do to prepare to offset or mitigate that risk, that is essential. And, and in that sense, I think we did so well in being super prepared before we got to the start line. So whilst the risk was high, I think the adjusted risk after allowing for the preparation and the mitigants was actually quite low. That is a lovely place to end our podcast. Thank you both so much. You've been fantastically generous guests and I really have been looking forward, having seen all your adventures on Instagram, to looking forward to pinning you down to a date and a time and recording our podcast. So thank you, Cam, and thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Helen. Thanks so much, Helen. Thanks, Cam. You've been listening to World Record Breakers, Teresa Patricios, Head of Investments for Convex, and Cam Parker from Swiss Re, following their extraordinary 2,800-mile row across the Pacific. Don't forget to download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week with another great guest, so join me then. 